What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. And you're listening to the Talkline Network over WVIP 93.5 FM HD2, New Rochelle, New York. We are America's only Jewish radio program on regular broadcast radio on the Internet and digital platforms. Enjoy. You are now tuned. Click, listen, enjoy. Broadcasting live worldwide. Thank you for tuning in to TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. And now... The TalkLine Network proudly presents its flagship program, Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast, the pulse beat of the Jewish community. And now, your host, Zev Brenner. And welcome to another edition of Talk Line. I'm Zev Brenner. Off to a little bit of a late start tonight, but we got a show for you. You don't want to miss our very special broadcast tonight. We are going to be speaking with the Israeli former American ambassador to Israel, David Freeman, coming up in just a little while, got a couple of moments, I should say, and then we'll also speak to Master, master Storyteller Hanok Teller. That's our all upcoming during our very, very special broadcast tonight. You want to miss our show? We'll begin with the ambassador right after these messages. We're here with you on WOR 710 AM, TalkLineNetwork.com, WVIP 93.5 FM HD2. We're going to be right back. David Freeman, right after these messages. As the temperature rises, so does your energy cost, which can go through the roof. Now is the perfect time to go solar and potentially offset your entire bill. It's the best way to save money and protect yourself from rising energy rates. If you need a new roof, solar can save you even more because you can wrap it into the financing and get more incentives for the additional costs as well. Solar generators are also available. Heshi and Sun Power by Comtech Solar 
as low as 0.99%. You're at a right. In addition, you can get great tax credits, including income tax credits from New York State and a property tax credit from New York City, totaling as much as 50% of the solar cost. Your home and property will also increase in value. So let Heshi and SunPower by Comtech get you the right deal hassle-free. Call 347-670-4369 for a free consultation at 347-670-4369. Cut your electric bills right away and call Heshi at 347-670-4369. You'll be glad you did. Thank you, Zev, for giving me the opportunity to share with your listeners the program for this year's Amit Yomayun at the Sephardic Temple in Cedarhurst, New York. This is Rebison Minnie Melman, the chairwoman of Amit Yomayun, Learning for Women by Women. This is our 21st year of giving women the opportunity to sit and learn and discuss and be inspired. Our attendance exceeds 100 women from all over the metropolitan area. It is truly a happening. Our seminar this year will take place during the nine days, and it is entitled, Mourning the Past to Rebuild the Future. Our keynote speaker is Professor Shoshana Schechter, Associate Dean of Torah Studies, Stern College for Women, and the Director of Machina Program at the college. Our Yomi Yun will take place Wednesday, July 14th, 9.30 a.m. until 12.30. The Sephardic Temple, 775 Branch Boulevard, Cedarhurst, New York. For more information and reservations, please contact the Amit office, 212-792-5691. 212 all New Yorkers 12 and older can now get COVID-19 vaccines, and we have one thing to say. Woohoo! It's your turn. Get vaccinated today. Visit nyc.gov slash vaccine finder or call 877-VAX4NYC. COVID-19 vaccines are now available to all New Yorkers 12 and older. Help us get one shot closer to a COVID-free NYC. Get vaccinated today. Visit nyc.gov slash vaccine finder or call 877-VAX4NYC. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now your host. Welcome back to the... All right, we are back. It's always a treat, always a privilege to have former ambassador to Israel, David M. Friedman, who served with distinction during the four years of the Trump administration. Mr. Ambassador, good to have you back here, and thank you for joining us. Thanks, Zev. Good to be with you. Thank you. So what is life like now that you're no longer ambassador? What, what's, what's going on? Well, um, I, uh, I'm busier than ever. I, uh, I wrote a book in the first uh, seven or eight weeks after I left office, which is uh, coming out in, uh, in February. HarperCollins has uh, the edgehammer, how past brought peace to the Middle East, um, coming out as I said, in February. February 8th is the release date. You can pre-order on Amazon. I am working on a documentary about the Abraham Accords, which we're almost done filming, which will be aired on uh, the TBN network probably in uh, in October or November. 
and uh, and I'm uh, and I have a job. I'm working uh, uh, in in partnership with uh, the former Secretary of the Treasury, Stephen Mnuchin, to help uh, help uh, uh, make money for our investors and uh, continue to grow the relationship between Israel and its neighbors. No, by the way, you should get accolades for your four years of distinction of service and of also the Abraham Accords, which is a major, major achievement. You know, the Abraham Accords was really the culmination of, of, of four years of work. And what it really did was to prove wrong the, you know, all the, uh, the diplomatic elites that said that the only way to make peace was to, um, was to apologize, if you will, for the U.S. relationship with Israel you know, to moderate it, to be balanced, to, uh, to you know, to give appropriate uh, credence to the Palestinians, even when they acted in ways in which they didn't deserve it. You know, that was the conventional wisdom. We, we thought that uh, we should call the balls and strikes, uh, you know, uh, honestly. We, we felt that uh, Israel was a critical ally of the states. Uh, it was very much America's interest as in Israel's interest for us to strengthen that relationship. Uh, and you, you obviously, you know what we did with Jerusalem and the Golan Heights, and uh, in our in our uh, proposal for a peace plan. And with all that, uh, you know, the uh, expectation was that there would be an explosion of violence. And of course, the Abraham Accords proved just the opposite. There was an explosion of peace because we made Israel an extraordinarily attractive peace partner for the nations in the region who all wanted to join that circle of trust with the United States. So, yeah, we're very proud of the Abraham Accords, and we view it as part of a of a continuum of standing with Israel, which we, we began when, uh, you know, back in uh, January of 2017. Are you disappointed with the way things are going now? Because you took away money from UNRWA, which, was, which is a terrorist organization. Uh, you see money going back to the Palestinian Authority, Iran deal. Looks like it's almost going to go back on the table. So are you disappointed that all the things that you were able to accomplish, some of it is being rewound by the new administration? Look, I, uh, I mean, certainly it's not the way we would have handled things um, where, uh, you know, we think UNRWA is, is not a solution. UNRWA is a problem. It's a corrupt organization. It perpetuates a, a myth of, uh, of uh, millions of, of refugees that would not fit that definition in, under any other, uh, you know, generally accepted definition of refugee. Um, we don't think the Palestinians should get money when they're paying uh, terrorists to... Uh, uh, to, to kill, uh, you know, to kill Israelis, and, and often, by the way, uh, paying terrorists to kill uh, Jewish Americans, because there are so many uh, Americans living in Israel that unfortunately have been victimized in terrorist attacks. Um, so, not, look, it's not, it, it, you know, we, we think that it's a waste of money. It sends the wrong message to the Palestinians that they can get, if you will, without having to give, that they can receive funding without making any effort to alter their malign behavior. You know, we, we had a policy of accountability. You know, uh, we're happy to help you. We're happy to provide humanitarian aid. We're happy to help you to bring your people to a better place. But you have to join the human race. You have to, uh, you have to stop uh, paying terrorists. You have to stop uh, inciting violence. Um, so uh, I think the policy is wrong. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I am confident that throwing money at the Palestinians is just about the worst way uh, to uh, to bring the nation to bring the region closer to peace, um, and and look, I think it's a lesson that you know we've learned in the past and we'll learn again, and it's a disappointment, but um, but Israel, I think, will Israel will prevail over these uh, these bad policies. Now, by the way, UNRWA, 
which is I'm on a forgive me I'm on a pet peeve against them because their every United Nations agency is meant to reduce the amount of refugees after every conflict. One exception, the Palestinians, where the, it increases every year. You have UNRWA, which helps perpetuate this this status and during the 1967 war they fought against israel they helped hamas ferry terrorist weapons and terrorists itself this has been proven so the fact that they exist i think is wrong and i was glad to see that on with you and the trump administration that they defunded it because this group shouldn't really be in business at all period no, no, no you're 100 percent right it, it shouldn't be in business it uh uh you know even the uh, europeans now are starting to realize that the under textbooks are uh You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Are simply, uh, you know, they're, they're books where they, you know, they, they, they teach math by, uh, by examples of, you know, if you kill uh, three Israelis and then kill another two Israelis, you know, how many Israelis have you killed? I mean, that's that's literally uh, in in their textbooks. So, so no, it's 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 an embarrassment. Uh, I think people are starting to realize that you would have thought that the United States would be ahead of the curve. Um, we're actually, I think, we're actually behind Europe right now in terms of uh, our uh, our views on UNRWA. Um, uh, they're 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 misguided, uh, completely wrong. Now. I know that you have a wonderful relationship with Donald Trump. You worked in prior to the became president. When he became president, you became ambassador. How did was it a tough process to convince him to move the embassy to Jerusalem? He had a lot of pressure not to move the embassy. Uh, it, it wasn't so hard. He uh, he wanted to do it from from the day we got started. Look, I you know. Um, well, there's a story that you were you were buying land in Israel, and he says, "Why are you buying land that you can buy cheaper elsewhere?" Right. That that was you know that was like in. 2004 or five. I mean, that was a long time ago when I was buying an apartment uh, for myself and we were sitting in a conference room and he and he asked me, you know, why are you spending so much money on Jerusalem? Why don't you go to East Hampton or something like that? And I explained to him how precious Jerusalem was to me and to my family. But, you know, um, but, you know, when I when I took the job, you know, we, we talked about what we hope to accomplish and uh, moving the embassy to Jerusalem was was really at the top of our collective list. We obviously uh, uh, wanted to get buy-in from uh, from the entirety of the uh, the president's cabinet. So it took us. I think uh, we 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 recognized Jerusalem in December of 2017. Took about about uh, 11 months to uh, to get that decision made. There was a lot of opposition inside of the government from the security establishment, the foreign policy establishment. We had a we had a you know. We had a lot of wood to chop to get that done, but uh, the president was never an obstacle. The president was really, was really with me all the way. But there were people in the administration who opposed it and who vo oh, sure. oh, and sure. voiced their opinion yeah, look, to the president. Well, look, uh, you know, this was our first year in office. We had a secretary of state who was uh, against it. We had a secretary of defense who was against it. We had a national security advisor who was largely against it. So, um, you know, uh, you're going to give these are important people. These are serious people. You're going to give them an audience. You're going to give them an opportunity to make their case. And so, you know, it, it was a process that took about 11 months. But um, but, uh, you know, the, the voices in favor of, of the move, which were 
You know, primarily um, the vice president, uh, myself and Nikki Haley. We had, of course, support from Jared Kushner and Jason Greenblatt also. But, you know, in the room, it was primarily uh, Vice President Pence and Nikki Haley and me. And uh, I think our case was, well, obviously our case was persuasive because the president agreed. Now, the president and the prime minister had a wonderful relationship during the four years that he was in office. But I've been hearing or reading reports now that the president was disappointed that Bibi recognized the Biden administration when it did. Yeah, look, I, I, I think um, I think it was, uh, you know, we were, we were in a, at, a, at a time which was extremely, um, extremely sensitive at a time when the president was still um, of the view that I think he, I guess he remains of the view that the elections weren't fair. And um, I think he would have preferred that uh, the prime minister um, uh, hold his powder a little bit longer. Um, my view is that um, when, you know, when the United States recognizes a, a new president, uh, the state of Israel really has no choice but to congratulate the president. That's how democracies work and that the relationship between Israel and the United States is more important than any particular individual. And, and you know, whatever the whatever the reaction may have been at the time, it's 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 long gone and uh, long disappeared. Are you still in touch with the president? I am um, not 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 as often as I'd like. Um, I think I was with him. I was with him about about five weeks ago um, as part of a documentary that I'm filming. I went down to Mar-a-Lago and, uh, and, and had the benefit of uh, spending about an hour with him uh, on tape discussing the Abraham Accords. And then we spent some time off camera, uh, just reminiscing a little bit. Now, I think that it was reported that you didn't expect that he was going to win the presidency when he did. Were you, were you surprised that he didn't win it uh, this time around? Well, the first time around, you know, I just, uh, you know, it wasn't like I, I was I wasn't really all that educated in, in the probabilities. I just looked at the, um, you know, if you remember in December, in, in November of 2016, the New York Times had like a meter that they put out every day, which showed the probability of, uh, you know, Hillary versus uh, Trump. And, you know, even on the even on Election Day that morning, it was like 95 percent probability of, of Hillary. So, you know, I was just kind of going with the conventional wisdom. Obviously, I hope the president won. And obviously, I was elated when when he did. Uh, four years later, um, yeah, I did think he was going to win. I thought that um, he was the stronger candidate. And I thought that he had um, done enough, more than enough in his four years, you know, not just with regard to Israel, but with regard to the economy, with regard to national security, with regard to the border, with regard to unemployment. I thought he had done enough to um, to justify uh, being returned to office. So I, I, I did think he would win. I was disappointed that he did. What was your biggest challenge in your four years as an ambassador? Well, look, the, the, the challenge was always that, you know, I took the job. I was I was not a diplomat. Uh, uh, I, I had to become a diplomat, but I was never a diplomat in the classical sense. And so um, I came into office with, you know, with an agenda. Uh, I wanted to strengthen the U.S.-Israel relationship. I wanted to do so with in Jerusalem, the Golan, um, Judea and Samaria. I wanted to um, hold the Palestinians accountable for bad behavior. I wanted to expand Israel's relationships in the Gulf, uh, in, the, in the Abrahamic coordinations as they developed. And I wanted to do it uh, quickly and, um, and in a manner that was, um, uh, you know, that was decisive and unapologetic. Now, you know, I was a member of the State Department, and the State Department is 
a very large bureaucratic organization. And um, I, I was certainly, uh, my views were certainly not endorsed inside the State Department. So when Tillerson was the Secretary of State, it was, it was really challenging because uh, he wasn't uh, of my view either. When Mike Pompeo came in, Mike and I uh, are very dear friends and we were of one mind and, and, and things changed dramatically then. But, you know, the first couple of years of, of, uh, of being in office, you know, I had to contend with a State Department that had, you know, a lot of, a lot of baggage, a lot of kind of wooden um, uh, inside the box, if you will, uh, views, traditional views, views that had never borne fruit in past administrations, but they still clung to these views. And so getting through that was, was a challenge. Now, the, the, way, the way I did get through it was because I had the support of the president. I mean, the only way, if you work in the State Department, the only way you can, um, you can prevail in a conflict with the State Department is if you have the support of the president. The president's the only human being on earth who outranks the State Department. So uh, my relationship with the president was a godsend in order to uh, you know, move forward with the policies that we wanted to advance. But it's almost like a different you know, agency, the State Department. They, it seems like they sometimes do their own thing, independent of the president or his people. It's like a state within a state almost. Yeah, look, there, there, yeah, there is a deep state. There, there are people that have worked there for, for many, many years, and they see politicians come and go. You know, they, uh, and they, and they, they, they are of the view that, that they know better because this is their career, this is their profession, this is what they know best, uh, and, and they, they will wait you out or, um, or kind of, uh, you know, they'll never, they'll never say no to, uh, you know, they'll never uh, say no if they're subordinate to, to uh, the decision maker, but they can wait things out, they can uh, run out the clock, so to speak, on, on an administration, and, and it's a challenge. And, um, and it's been the case for, you know, for, um, uh, for, for more than 100 years. I mean, there, there have been books written by people that came long, long, long before I did that, uh, you know, spoke of the challenges they faced in the State Department. It's not that the State Department is a, you know, is, a, is an evil place or a, uh, or a uh, you know, a place that acts contrary to what they consider to be the best interests of America. They're, 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 they're good people, but they are entrenched in yeah, a very large bureaucracy. Uh, absolutely. Now, when you dealt with the Palestinians, was there a public and a private side? Because publicly they didn't want you to be part of some of the negotiations. What was it like behind the scenes? Look, we had back channels with the uh, with the Palestinians uh, uh, almost almost at all times. Um, um, they um, and 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 in addition, Israel has uh, uh, extremely good contacts uh, with the Palestinians, and we would share with Israel our views, they would share with us their views. So we always knew where the Palestinians were. Um, the, the problem with the Palestinians is not um, whether they're willing to talk or not willing to talk or what's you know behind the scenes or in front of the scenes. The problem with the Palestinians is that notwithstanding um, billions and billions and billions of dollars of aid, uh, notwithstanding uh, being indulged by the entire world and by the United Nations, they haven't succeeded in creating the building blocks for for real independence. They are um, they don't have a system of justice. They don't have freedoms of uh, speech or the press. They they um, uh, you know they, they don't respect human rights. They they they're not willing to live uh, side by side with with the Jewish people. And uh, the, the, these are these are um, foundational failings that that they have 
and is primarily a function of, of a very insular and corrupt leadership in the PA and obviously a, uh, a, a, a Muslim, radical Muslim extremist terrorist leadership uh, in Hamas. No, no question about that. And uh, but but I think they were forced to deal with you publicly, weren't they? Because originally they didn't want you to be part of it, and I believe the president wanted you to be part of the negotiation, so they had to at least deal with you for a certain period of time. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. They, they, would, they reluctantly met with me. Uh, they, they, you know, the view was that I had, uh, I had no portfolio with them because my relationship, my, my portfolio was with Israel. And if uh, and if I would to were to meet with them, it would somehow suggest that 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 Israel had some some hegemony over them. So they, but ultimately they did meet with me. We met from time to time early on. Once we recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, uh, all kind of public diplomatic discussions, at least with me, uh, came to an end. We had back channels, but we didn't do anything. We never met again publicly. You want to do this right? One of the most fifty influential Jews around the world. So, which I think is, is which is which is so great. Now, you're watching what's going on today. We're seeing anti-Semitism growing by leaps and bounds in America. We're finding anti-Israel bias. I think we're seeing a resurgence in Iran because they're going to be getting soon. I believe the deal is going to go back into shape. The JPAC deal is going to continue. America wants to do it so much. You've dealt with the other outcome regarding Iran. I think isn't that the glue that holds together some of the countries? The Arab countries. Look, look. A, a um, I mean, a common enemy is a is a well recognized uh, basis for people to to coalesce. But it's much more than that. You know, I was in um, I was in Abu Dhabi about three or four weeks ago in Bahrain. I met with the foreign ministers of both countries, and uh, they said something to me which I think is is, is very appropriate. They said, um, "We're all fighting the same enemy. We're fighting the same any enemy in America." In, uh, in the Gulf, in Israel, and elsewhere, we're all fighting um, extremism. We're fighting it. Now, the extremism can be, you know, take different forms. It can be anywhere from Al-Qaeda and ISIS to Hamas to Hezbollah to, um, you know, to extreme groups in the United States on, on the right and the left to, um, you know, to um, uh, the Iranians um, and their proxies. But they're all extremists. They all, they all you know, want to elevate um, uh, they all want to elevate mayhem, murder, violence, you know, ideological purity over coexistence. And we're all fighting the same fight. And, um, and, and so, I, you know, I think that uh, it's all on the rise. You know, there's lots of different reasons. Um, somebody will write, you know, somebody will, will figure this all out one day. But it can range for it ranges from, you know, people being stuck indoors for a year and a half to uh, to the uh, to social media and the and the Internet to uh, the recent um, uh, war in Gaza. I mean, you could, but at the end of the day, um, it, it's, it still comes down to there are about, about 10 to 15% of the world uh, in all these countries, including our own, uh, are, are violent, uh, dangerous extremists. And unfortunately, they take up about 80% of the oxygen in the room. They get most of the noise. 
and it becomes um, it becomes unbearable, and actually, and it becomes dangerous. It becomes dangerous to Jewish people in the United States, and it becomes dangerous to to, to people who, whoever whoever's fighting extremism. They find it uh, it becomes a a, a, a a risk of life and death. Mr. Bass, you mentioned earlier that you're working on improving business ties to UAE and some of the other countries that are part of the Abraham Accords. Could you elaborate what's in the, in the works? Well, look, there's there there's there's a huge amount of uh, exchange back and forth. It's um, there are chambers of commerce being formed. There are um, there are uh, investments going back and forth now in in healthcare. In, uh, in technology, in cyber defense, and in intelligence cooperation, there is um, there is a massive amount of tourism. I mean, unfortunately, the last uh, uh, I think the UAE had a tough week or two now with COVID, so it's it's slowed down a little bit. Hopefully, that will re- re- restore itself very soon. But um, uh, you know, there's there's like five or six flights a day out of um, out of Tel Aviv. Oh, sorry about that. Um, I think at one point there were like forty, fifty thousand people a month going from Israel to Dubai. Yeah, it was it was a it was a crazy um, number. A big, big number. And you know, we were just there and we saw plenty. There's seven kosher restaurants in Dubai. I was able to open up the Chabad in Abu Dhabi. I was the uh, Baltfila for the first prayer in uh, in the Chabad in uh, Abu Dhabi. There's a uh, there's a commissary that's um, created by um, uh, you know um, in the airport by the Emirates Air uh, hangar called Kosher Arabia. That's going to be maybe at least the second, maybe the first largest uh, purveyor of kosher airline food in the world. Um, look, um, in in in, uh, in the Emirates, the uh, I know that in Abu Dhabi, the government put out in uh, a requirement that every hotel must offer uh, kosher food to its guests. I told this to the president. He, he found this uh, extremely amusing that I told him, I said, you know, I can, it's easier for me to get a kosher sandwich in Abu Dhabi than in Washington, D.C. Because only one kosher, uh, that's amazing, right? It's amazing, yeah. And, and, and the president thought it was amazing, too. So, um, look, the, um, you know, you pointed out uh, Iran. Of course, uh, Iran is a, is a threat to... Uh, to, to the UAE, it's a threat to Saudi Arabia, it's a threat to Bahrain, it's a threat to Israel. And of course, having a common enemy is important. But right now, the relationship is growing in ways that are, 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 are way additive, incremental to the security issues. I was sure, and it should continue to grow, and I think there'll be a lot of business connection. A lot, a lot of Jews, not just in Israel, but around the world, want to go to Dubai, so that's only going to grow. Your book was going to be out soon. Uh, is it going to be made into a movie as well? No, the book. No, so the, the book is the book is the book. The book is my story, the story of my four years in office, and how we sort of the inside story about how we were able to uh, uh, achieve uh, so much in terms of strengthening the relationship between the U.S. and Israel. It gives a little bit of an insight into the challenges we face, the the challenges in the State Department. How the government works. Uh, some of the president, uh, some of the president's uh, courage in, uh, in in getting these things done. So, there, there. That's that's the book. The 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 movie is really a documentary. What I wanted to do was to um, was to really document the Abraham Accords from the perspective of the people who really were were part of it. So, you know, before my concern was that before everybody scatters to the wind and goes and does something else. 
I want everyone who was involved to really speak. So I went down to, to Florida. I interviewed uh, Jared Kushner. I went to Mar-a-Lago, interviewed the president. I went up to Washington, spoke with Mike Pompeo and Mike Pence and um, Yusuf Al-Taiba, who was the uh, Emirati uh, ambassador to, uh, to the United States. We then went across to, uh, to Israel and spoke with, uh, you know, with the prime minister and the defense minister and the foreign minister. We went to, and then we went off to, uh, to, uh, to Abu Dhabi in Dubai and to uh, Bahrain in, in, uh, in, in Morocco. And so we're, we're, we're just kind of trying to tell the story from the perspective of the people who are involved and obviously, you know, add to it a lot of uh, perspectives from people on the street. We spoke to some of the new businesses that had formed uh, in light of the Abraham Accords, some of the kosher restaurants. Um, you know, we, we try to give uh, people uh, a, a full understanding. It's going to be about a four or five hour uh, documentary. It, it'll air in uh, one hour segments. Uh, it should be out in the fall. Looking and, forward uh, to it. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's an important addition to the, to the history of, the, uh, uh, of, of our four years in office. People can pre-order the book. The name of the book and how can people find it? So the name of the book again is it's it's too soon to it's too soon to get it because it's not out yet but it's called it's called Sledgehammer Sledgehammer uh, how breaking with the past made peace in the Middle East it is on Amazon right now but it's on only for pre-order and if you go on pre-order you'll see it's not it's not available until February the 8th so by all means if people <laughs> would like to pre-order it they should but um but uh and and they are guaranteed the lowest price whenever it ships but but it's uh, it won't be out till February the eighth. So we have to have you back again before, and so we'll look forward with, to with pleasure. With pleasure. And I want to thank you for your dedication, for your service, because what you did, major accomplishments, which people didn't think could happen, but it did under your watch and working together with the president and working with the team. So thank you for what you've done, and look forward to having you back. Thank you, Zev. It's been a pleasure. Look forward to coming back. Look forward, Ambassador David Friedman, one of the fifty most influential Jews in the world. When we come back, we'll speak to Hanoch Teller, master storyteller from Israel, right after these messages. You should know what to expect when you get a COVID-19 vaccine. This is what. You might need two doses. Depending on the vaccine you're given, you may have to get a second dose three to four weeks after the first. You may have side effects. Some people are having short-term side effects like arm soreness, headaches, body aches, chills, or fever. These are expected and means your body is building protection against COVID-19 you will build immunity. It takes about two weeks after your last dose to get the full protection from the vaccine. You will still need to be safe. Until enough people are vaccinated, keep yourself and others safe by wearing your face covering, washing your hands, physically distancing, and staying home when you're sick. So yes, you're right. You should know what to expect when you get a COVID-19 vaccine. So knowing you may need two doses, side effects are possible, you'll build immunity, plus you'll still need to be safe, means no surprises when you get your COVID-19 vaccine. To learn more, visit nyc.gov slash COVID vaccine. If you'd like to win a pair of AirPods courtesy of Flom's Herrings, all you have to do is send me an email to zevbrenner at gmail.com. Put Flom's in the headline. Give us your name, address, and the zip code. We'll pick some lucky winners each and every week. So send it to zevbrenner at gmail.com. And you'll have an opportunity to win a pair of AirPods courtesy of Flom's. Again, send it to zevbrenner at gmail.com. That's zevbrenner at gmail.com. Delarosa's 100% pure avocado oil is truly a superior oil. Freshly pressed from the avocado fruit and not the seed, Delarosa's avocado oil is naturally low in acidity and high in monosaturated fats and vitamin E. 
Delarosa avocado oil is light in taste, which makes it the perfect oil for use on salads and marinades and salad dressings. And because it has a high smoke point of 520 degrees Fahrenheit, it is the perfect oil for high heat cooking and being healthy. This is the perfect oil for use in high heat cooking, stir frying, deep frying, baking, sauteing, and roasting. And is also one of the best oils for the keto Paleo Diet. Della Rosa's avocado oil can be found on your local grocery store or Amazon, Vitacost, and on eBay or online at DellaRosa613.com. Get it now. Perfect for your everyday use. COVID-19 vaccines are now available to all New Yorkers 12 and older. Help us get one shot closer to a COVID-free NYC. Get vaccinated today. Visit nyc.gov slash vaccine finder or call 877-VAX-4-NYC. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. Here is your host. Welcome back to the program. I'm Zev Brenner. Hanoch Teller from Israel is a prolific writer. We love having him as a guest. He's written 29 books. He has 18 children. He's amazing in what he's able to do. He has a very popular podcast, but his latest book is called Heroic Children, Dealing with Children During the Holocaust. So, Hanok, good to have you back again. Okay, we will get the Hanok back up again. By the way, if you haven't uh, one, if you haven't entered our contest for AirPods, uh, please uh, do so by sending me an email to zevbrenner at gmail.com, zevbrenner at gmail.com, and, uh, we, and we'll be able to get you into the contest. Hanok Teller is with us. He's here in the States. Hanok, good to speak with you again. Thank you very much. Thank you. So you've written quite a few books. You're a master storyteller. So tell us about Heroic Children. It's different from some of the other books that you've written, but it's a very important book. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, I don't know if you're aware of the fact I work in Yad Vashem. I'm a senior docent over there. And the story, the, the story of the Holocaust is the most well-documented, well, most well-documented crime in history. And... Uh, so I was looking for an angle to tell something which has not yet been told. And the fact of the matter is, when the war was over, people who survived were very anxious to relate how they had been betrayed, how they had suffered. And the only people who didn't tell their story, and yet it's really not, not been told ever since, is the story of children. They couldn't tell it then, and it's yet been told. So that was my mission. I wanted to tell the story, and I basically trampled the world, gathering the stories of people and the fact of the matter is many people who survived the Holocaust, particularly children, did everything within their wherewithal to try and forget what occurred. And when it finally became more chic to retell the story which happened in the 1980s, their, their memory had already played tricks on them, and I had to make sure that my book was fully accurate. And some people had phenomenal stories, but I just couldn't conclu- include them because they weren't historically accurate. The book is composed of nine stories of nine children. It begins wherever they were in the Holocaust kingdom, when the war broke out, and it concludes upon their liberation, with an epilogue, which would happen to them subsequently, them and their family, and their community. That's the gist of the book. No, it's an important one, and it's it's evergreen because it's something which is relevant for us to read today or next year or two years from now. That's what makes it so important. And uh, was it a hard book to write? I know you worked for Yad Vashem. You mentioned that, but it's the subject matter is certainly a difficult one dealing with the tragedy of what the Holocaust yeah, was. Yeah, well, it's, it's not a pleasant subject. You know, some of the stories are extremely, extremely uplifting. Some of them are 
uh, they're hard something, but they're uplifting. That wasn't a difficult part. Uh, the research was very difficult for me. I've written many books where I took a lot of liberties and poetic license. Here I had to be very accurate. It took a long time. But I have great reward from it. Great reward insofar as that the message is getting out. Uh, even uh, there is a colonel in the Marines. Uh, colonel sounds probably important, but not very important. He's a very important colonel. And before people go on deployment, he makes sure that all of his soldiers read this book. Wow. So that, that's just sort of branching out in an era which I never would have imagined. Wow. So it's, uh, and, and it's available on Amazon, it's available in Jewish bookstores. It should, be, it should be available on Amazon and Jewish bookstores uh, or through Feldheim or through my own website, Hanoch Teller, H-A-N-O-C-H, Teller.com. And you have a very popular podcast, too, that comes out weekly. And what kinds of things do you discuss on your podcast? Okay, so this is my modest attempt at doing Israel advocacy. And uh, it's important. The podcast is a weekly podcast. Three weeks out of four is about the early struggle to build the state of Israel. It's really quite important that people know the accurate history. And it's not done like a classroom. It's very entertaining. There's a lot of stories, a lot of humor. But the facts are all there. I mean, it's a long story. So it's, we started in February, and we, we're not even... We're just past the Balfour Declaration. Uh, I don't even know what's... I, think, I don't even know what's aired yet, because I've pre-recorded several. But I think uh, maybe, maybe we're up to the Balfour Declaration. was in 1917. Uh, and then once a month, we have a character workshop. So you really keep yourself quite busy now. Do you know book number? Uh, well, I'm telling you that much busier than I thought I would be, <laughs> because uh, I've, I'm finding that every single single episode is taking me over 16 hours to prepare. It's not like I'm a foreign to the subject, but I want to make sure you know this somewhat. Uh, this is going down for history, so I want to make sure I get it correct. No, no, it's so so important that you do, and I'm looking forward to this series that people can get it. You've written 29 books. What's number 30 going to be about? It's more. Uh, legally involved and how certain legal cases in America, how they impact upon American Jewry. Hanotel, we thank you for joining here with a look forward to having you back in. I urge people to get the book and also to listen to your podcast. Thank you very much. And the podcast is Teller from Jerusalem, which can be found on, every, on any single platform where people listen to their podcast, Teller from Jerusalem. Hanotel, look forward to having you back again. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. And I'll be back with some closing thoughts. All New Yorkers 12 and older can now get COVID-19 vaccines. And we have one thing to say. Woohoo! It's your turn. Get vaccinated today. Visit nyc.gov slash vaccine finder or call 877-VAX-4-NYC. COVID-19 vaccines are now available to all New Yorkers 12 and older. Help us get one shot closer to a COVID-free NYC. Get vaccinated today. Visit nyc.gov slash vaccine finder or call 877-VAX-4-NYC. If you'd like to win a pair of AirPods courtesy of Flom's Herrings, all you have to do is send me an email to zevbrenner at gmail.com. Put Flom's in the headline. Give us your name, address, and the zip code. We'll pick some lucky winners each and every week. So send it to zevbrenner at gmail.com. And you'll have an opportunity to win a pair of AirPods courtesy of Flom's. Again, send it to zevbrenner at gmail.com. That's zevbrenner at gmail.com. Thank you, Zev, for giving me the opportunity to share with your listeners the program for this year's Amit Yomiyun at the Sephardic Temple in Cedarhurst, New York. This is Rebetzin Nini Melman. 
the chairwoman of Amit Yomayun, Learning for Women by Women. This is our 21st year of giving women the opportunity to sit and learn and discuss and be inspired. Our attendance exceeds 100 women from all over the metropolitan area. It is truly a happening. Our seminar this year will take place during the nine days, and it is entitled Mourning the Past to Rebuild the Future. Our keynote speaker is Professor Shoshana Schechter, Associate Dean of Torah Studies, Stern College for Women, and the Director of Machina Program at the college. Our Yomi Yun will take place Wednesday, July 14th, 9.30 a.m. until 12.30. The Sephardic Temple, 775 Branch Boulevard, Cedarhurst, New York. For more information and reservations, please contact the Amit office, 212-792-5691. All New Yorkers 12 and older can now get COVID-19 vaccines, and we have one thing to say. It's your turn. Get vaccinated today. Visit nyc.gov slash vaccine finder or call 877-VAX-4-NYC. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now your host. Uh, we're back. You know, we're here with you on WOR every Sunday night from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. Coming up at 10 o'clock, you don't want to miss Yusuf Safla's wonderful show, Mind Your Business. We're here with you on the radio on WSNR 620 AM, Monday through Wednesday nights from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., Thursday nights from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m., Saturday nights from 9 p.m. to 4 a.m., and TalkLineNetwork.com 24 hours a day. We have a wonderful channel 24 hours a day, WVIP 93.5 FM HD 2, 24 hours a day. That's WVIP 93.5 FM HD2. We also have a listen line, 641-741-0389. We appreciate your listening. Tune in to us on a regular basis. You can tune in now going to TalkLine Network or our listen line or WVIP. And uh, please uh, be in touch. We are America's only Jewish radio programs and regular broadcast radio on the Internet and digital platforms. If you miss any of our shows, go to jewishpodcast.org, jewishpodcast.org. You can catch us. We're on all the major podcast platforms, including iTunes and Spotify and Google, and as well as on uh, YouTube. And you can find us on LinkedIn as well. Thank you for listening. This is the Talkline Network.